Good afternoon. We're here today to talk about hope and recovery and getting better, growing, healing, evolving, every day in every way, better and better. So I'd like to start by talking about hope, what it is, where it comes from, why we should hope for hope. Why should we trust hope? I remember years ago, I thought hope was a word like try. I didn't like it. I was sort of from the Luke Skywalker school. Do or don't do, what is try? And I felt hope was sort of like trying. It didn't feel like a powerful word to me. But I grew. I matured, I got smarter, more experienced, and they now know the power of hope. Hope is a quality of love. Hope is a skill, a talent, a gift that separates human beings apart from any other creature that we know of. Oh yes, animals have emotions. There's no question that animals have emotions. There are seven or eight animals with such a high level of self-awareness, they recognize their image in a mirror. It's pretty remarkable. Something even a human being can't do till they're about 18 or 20 months old. But we don't have any evidence that animals have hope. But we do. And you probably all know the idiom, the aphorism, the saw, the saying, hope springs eternal. And this is where I'd like to start today. Does it? Does hope spring eternal? Is there always hope? You see, here's a critical point. This may be the most important thing I'm going to say to you today. So, listen carefully and give it some thought. Hope does not mean that things in our lives are going to get better. That external events and circumstances might improve. The full quote by Alexander Pope in his famous poem is, Hope springs eternal in the human breast. In other words, again, it's a quality of love. It's heart-based. It's in here. This is critical to understand that it's not, gosh, I hope things get better in the world. I hope my boss turns into a likable person who appreciates my talents. I, I hope my spouse and I can stop arguing. I, I, I sure hope the dog stops biting the mailman. It's to look within, to know thyself. Perhaps the most ancient wisdom in the Western, Eastern, and Middle Eastern world. To know thyself. You never heard any great wisdom. Know other people, figure them out. But that's what we do. We use our most intimate, internal, emotional responses 
to try to understand the stimulus. Why did they make me feel that way? And we obsess on the person who stimulated the feeling. I know because I've taught this cornerstone of emotional intelligence for years, and yet I see myself still doing the same thing. The best I've been able to do is radically reduce the amount of time it takes me to remember from not at all to three or four days to three or four hours to three or four minutes. And then I go, oh, what am I doing? There I go again. Doing what I've always done. Obsessing on the stimulus. Here's the deal. It's sort of like playing with a friend, a lover, a partner. And they tickle you three or four times. They poke you with a bony finger or a knuckle. And you giggle, and so they do it again. And you poke them back, and they giggle. And then after three or four times, they poke you, and then suddenly they hurt you. And you push them away and say, ow, that hurt. And they're mystified. They say, well, why did that hurt? And you say, well... Because I've got this bruise here. I fell into a doorknob two days ago. And ow, ow, it only hurts when I touch it. Ow, that really hurts. They say, well, then I didn't hurt you. And you say, yes, you did. They say, well, no, I didn't. Because the first four times I poked you, it didn't hurt. Only when I hit the bruise did I hurt you. And the point is, my friends, we're all hurt. We all have pre-existing bruises. And so you've got to get the idea that both things are true. Other people make us angry and disappoint us. They frustrate us. They hurt us. They upset us. And it creates a world that looks like it's a one-way street being done to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Life happens to you. Life happens while you're making other plans. Well, that's not wrong, but it is incomplete. Because, in fact, life is a two-way street. It's not only what's done to us, it's what we do with what's done to us. Sometimes in that order, sometimes in the opposite order. We initiate a behavior. We give, and then we receive. You hear what I'm saying about life being a two-way street? Thank you. And so, it's not wrong to say they hurt me. It's just incomplete. They poked me where I was already bruised. The great Eleanor Roosevelt once said, No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. That's not only true about feeling inferior. It's true about every hurtful emotion. Even heartache. Nobody can make you feel anything without your buy-in. Somebody stands up and says, Michael Benner, you're a moron. You're an idiot. 
You don't know what you're talking about. Believe me, I've heard that. But if it hurts, I know some part of me is agreeing. Some part of me is confused. Some part of me doesn't know me very well. And so as I come to know myself better, I can answer back, even if only internally, even if I don't say anything out loud, I can in my head and in my heart say, that's not true. I might be temporarily confused. I might need to learn something. This person may have a point. But I'm not an idiot. I'm not a moron. And yet, maybe there are echoes from my childhood, yeah? Maybe there are echoes from my childhood where I remember being told that I was stupid or I was bad. You're a bad little boy. What parent, it's getting better, but what parent knows to say to a child, because I love you so much, this bad behavior concerns me, and so there are going to have to be some consequences. Why don't you go to your room and uh, chill out, and when I calm down, get it together, we'll talk. Because I love you so much, I'm really disappointed in your behavior, and I'll get out of here. We're told you're bad, you're rotten, you're no good. I don't know why I ever had children. You embarrass me. Stuff like that. And you say, oh, I forgot all of that. Well, your conscious mind may have lost access, but your unconscious or subconscious mind is very well aware of the false assumptions that we made as little children, which then echo when we are hurt when we're insulted or upset. And so it's understandable that we would have this understanding that life has done to us. And then where's the hope? There's no hope. We can only hope that they stop being mean to us, that they stop hurting us, they stop insulting us. Or that something happens in our lives to end this sadness, this depression, this alienation and so the one big message I have for you today is that hope springs eternal within you the truth is I love people I don't just love some people I love all people I love people that don't even like themselves all right And I say that to you not based on what people do, because many people do things that would suggest that they're not very lovable. For whatever reason, they like being mean and nasty and hurtful and and defensive and combative and binary in their thinking. Everything is us and them, either or, as if our whole lives are a true and false exam. With no middle way, no third option. No rainbows between the black and white. It's not that I love people for what they do or what they don't do. I love people because I know who we are. 
I know what we are. I know that we are. And I'm here to appeal to you to know yourself, to discover and develop yourself. That's the hope that springs eternal in the human heart. You see? And it never runs out. Notice, hope springs eternal. Springs don't run out, generally, because water runs to the ocean, it evaporates, goes up to the sky, it rains back down. We're not running out of water, although it appears it here in California, doesn't it? (laughs) It looks like we're running out of water. I think it's all in Texas, actually, right now. They went from drought to flood. But the total amount of water on the earth stays the same, you see. It's a cycle. And so the water doesn't really come from the spring so much as it comes through the spring. And hope and love don't really come from us so much as through us. And you can interpret this in a spiritual or religious way. I think that's a good idea. For no man, no woman is an island. We're connected to a universe. What's uni mean? One. There's just one thing at work here. There's only one of us here. A friend of mine likes to say, there's only one of us here. There's only one thing at work. It's a mystery. It's a mystery worth exploring. And if we appear to be separate and hopeless, wouldn't it make sense to find hope and understanding that separation is merely an appearance? That in fact we're all connected by that love that comes not at us primarily, not from us primarily, but through us, out into the world, Perpetually. And the more you give, the more you receive. It's like opening the garden hose. You find the kink in the hose, there it goes. And the more you give, the more you radiate, emanate, offer up freely your wisdom, your love, your kindness, your generosity, your patience, your humor, your passion and compassion the more you receive. There is the hope. There is the truth. And the challenge is to each of us to discover it and develop it. And you can practice when things are going well because the real test comes when things are not going so well. Into each Life a little rain must fall. I lived in Hawaii for five years. In Hawaii, we say, no rain, no rainbows. <laughs> Dr. King said, it takes darkness to see the stars. Sir Francis Bacon said, diamonds are best displayed on a dark background. 
It's our troubles, our trials, our depression, our sadness, our difficulties that give us the opportunity to dig deep and find the hope that springs eternal within us. You see what I'm saying? We have to be stronger than to simply believe that hope is something that happens to you. Let me share this with you. See if you can guess who this is. I give you a clue. This is someone who's alive today. The best way to not feel hopeless is to get up and do something. Don't wait for good things to happen to you. If you go out and make good things happen, you will fill the world with hope, and you will fill yourself with hope. Some guy named Barack Obama. The wise man. Don't wait for things to happen. Don't hope things will get better. We can't blame our lives on events and circumstances beyond our control, on our inability to influence other people, and then to settle for sympathy from others. We sit around in some pity party about how miserable we are and how bad things are. And, I mean, that's what passes for small talk. In many circles, if you could move invisibly, it's one of my fantasies to be invisible. If I had 1x power, I'd be invisible. I, I told you I love other people. I like listening to them. If you could move invisibly through a coffee shop or a restaurant and listen in on those conversations, how many of those conversations would be positive affirmations of the contributions that we're making, the goodness that we're doing in the world, versus the percentage of those conversations that would be appeals for sympathy and pity. Because we want love, but we'll settle for sympathy. Won't we? And that's sad. We even think love comes from other people. We think love comes from, well, I'll have another baby. That'll save the marriage. We think love comes from the golden retriever and the little tabby kitten. And again, we're not wrong. But we are incomplete when we think that way. Did anybody ever teach us to receive and then give? It's give and receive. It's reap what you sow. It's do unto others what you would have them do unto you. The primary direction is out and then back. If you're not giving love from others that you want... Could it possibly mean you're not planting those seeds? You're not giving love away? So here's a story I used to tell. Apparently I still tell it. 
Imagine the boat sinks and we end up in a little rubber life raft out in the middle of the Pacific. Sharks swimming all around. And we look around and we have no life preservers and we have to admit to each other, hey, you know, I can't swim. And I have no life preserver. And the other says, well, you know, Michael, I hate to admit it, but I can't swim either. Always intended to learn, just never really got around to it. And you're right, we have no life preservers. What are we going to do? We get a hole in this life raft, glug, 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 we're going down. Fish bait. Suddenly, one of us gets what appears to be a great idea and suggests to the other one, well, I don't know why we didn't think of it before. We had nothing to worry about. We'll just do that, what do they call it, that golden rule thing where we save each other. I'll save you and then you can save me. Or if you want to go first, as long as you save me, then I'll be able to save you. And when I have asked my students and clients, who all recognize immediately how ridiculous that is, why is it ridiculous? Tell me what's wrong with this picture. Fewer than half could find the words to say, in one way or another, to clearly say, well, you can't really do anything for another person that you're unable to do for yourself. But if we're lonely and single, what do we do? We go out into the world, some singles bar or dating app, looking for another lonely, empty person. Neither of us have love in our lives, and we say, I'll love you if you love me. And you know the darndest thing is, it seems to work for 30 to 90 days. <laughs> Not much more than that. 30 to 90 days. Oh, you can't sleep. You can't eat. You're telling all your friends about this romance and how wonderful it is, how blissed out you are, and you're filling each other with love. And then what happens? <laughs> Those empty spots come back because they're our empty spots. They always were. And the only reason it seemed to work was they took away our fear, stress, and anxiety that we weren't lovable. And in the absence, albeit temporary, of our fear that we're not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, lovable enough, as we drop that fear, we become aware of the love that's coming from us or through us? Through us. So fear blocks love. What is fear? Most people believe fear is a, an alert or a signal that there's danger at hand. That's not true. How many times... Have people said to you, what are you afraid of? What are you worried about? And you go, you know, I really don't know. Well, if fear was a signal of danger, 
Wouldn't it be obvious? I'm afraid of this obvious danger. Yet 90%, 98% of our fear is unknown, irrational. Could it be that fear, by any name, stress, anxiety, worry, doubt, nervous apprehension, well, I'm not afraid, Michael, I just have my concerns. Okay, it's still fear. It's not about danger, but what we don't understand about ourselves. And this is the greatest fear known to man. Not death, not root canals, not pain, suffering, debt, terminal illness, disease. We can, those things, we can deal with those things. The greatest fear known to man is who am I? What am I for? You are a fountain. You are a spring of love and hope that comes through you, not from you, never runs out, is always there. And so when I say I love people, not so much for what they do, but for who they are, it's because I understand that every single one of us on this planet not only has the love and the hope we're looking for, we are the love and the hope we're looking for. And I'll finish with this. There is an Ethiopian proverb that fish discover water last. Think about that. Fish discover water last. The great Marsha McLuhan, professor, researcher, communication theorist, said, similarly, I don't know who discovered water, but I'm pretty sure it was not a fish. <laughs> and the great thing about it is a fish never has to worry about whether its destination will be wet enough. Does this make sense or is it too far out? To a fish, water is so ubiquitous, so everywhere equally present, it knows nothing about it. Could, my dear friends, could it possibly be that love, kindness, passion, compassion, forgiveness, generosity, tolerance, patience, humor, truth, wisdom, and beauty, did I leave anything out? Is so everywhere equally present that we're not aware of it. It's like sitting at the traffic light after it turns green and somebody goes, eh, eh, and you sort of wake up. It doesn't mean we're stupid, we're not ignorant, we're not lacking any critical mental faculties, we're just not aware. Lights are on, nobody's home. And when you come out of the mall and you can't find your car, that's not a bad memory. That's because you 
were not aware of where you left it. You go to the memory, there's nothing there. <laughs> we blame our memories. There's nothing wrong with a memory. We didn't have the awareness to say, all right, I'm parking my car here, G3. What the hell does that mean? G3, it must be a G4 and a G2 someplace. Okay, this is by the stairs, okay, and this is my view out here. We're not aware, we're just not aware. And 700 years ago, the Reverend Dr. John Toller said, if I were a king and did not know it, I would not be a king. That sounds sort of silly and stupid at first blush. What the hell does that mean? If I were a king and did not know it, I would not be a king. It means if you have all the love in the universe within you and didn't know it, you would not know that hope springs eternal. You have everything you need to live out your dreams, to be the person that you want to be, know yourself, believe in yourself, love yourself, and give it away freely. Every day, better and better. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Thank you.